0: you, it's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Glad you guys made it. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us. You glad you made it? I'm so glad you made it. We are in the middle of this series, Practice Community and the Way of Jesus, and I, and I am really—that's that's actually not right. That's my bad. <laughs> We're not in that series. We're in the middle of a series called Identity, Calling and the Way of Jesus. That's hilarious. So look at me I'm using the wrong slide. Well, we're still in that series, whether the slide is right or not, but that's on me. I'm really glad you guys are here. Last week, we kicked off this series. It's on our podcast and our YouTube channel. We did some formational work that I highly recommend you go back and pick up. And as always, we're walking through this together in community. And so we'd love to encourage you to get plugged into those city groups. Uh, we are consistently asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So a quick note, if you're if you're new to City Church, new-ish to this community, or you're not really sure where you land on your spiritual journey, kind of checking out faith, maybe you walked away from church or stayed away from church, or, or just trying to figure out where you land with this Jesus thing, I want you to know you are loved, safe, and welcome here. We're glad that you're here. Our desire is to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps in your faith journey, whatever that means. And so that video is talking about uh, being family and community. I want you to know you're invited into this this family. You're invited into this community. And, and really, in order to flesh that out, it's not just attend on a weekend, sit shoulder to shoulder next to somebody, and then see them next week. That's not exactly family. Uh, that's kind of like Super Bowl Sunday, right? Like, show up, hang out. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, by the way. Any, like, die hard football fans in here? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I heard one little... Oh. Any any snack and drink fans in here? Yeah, all, all my foodies, that's where we're... Commercials and food is all that we use Super Bowl for. Um... Hey, so listen, no matter where you're walking in, you're loved, safe, and welcome. We mean that, and we're genuinely glad that you're here. Uh, by the way, that, that community night event that Maddie was talking about that is a massively important event that we do, and we really want you to mark your calendars for it. Again, that's the first Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. As we practice the way of Jesus together in Boulder, we create strategic events to love the city around us. And so we use third spaces, meaning not where you live, or, um, yeah, not where you live and not where you work, but third space where you play so we create these third spaces environments that would be comfortable for someone who maybe would never come to your city group or wouldn't come to a weekend gathering but they'd let city church buy them a drink this alcoholic and non available it's a really cool cidery down the street free childcare Come on, that is like worth it for your friends. They're like, all right, you know what? I don't know what I believe about Jesus, but no kids for two hours and a free drink, I'm in. So the idea is we create space to build community. There's no agenda. It's genuinely just creating environments of community. And so we want to want you to want to encourage you not just to mark your calendar so that you can be available, but then over the next couple of weeks really thinking about your circles of influence. Where you live, work and play, the people that are in your circles of influence, inviting them to join you that evening. It's going to be really really cool. Think of it like a happy hour meets really awesome community where everyone feels loved and that like they belong. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. Okay, cool. Three of us are excited. The rest of you are just freezing to death. I get it. It's okay you like, I can't even move my lips. It's so cold in here. We're going to fix that, I promise. Okay, so again, we've been asking that question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Three things over and over again throughout the year. Jesus defines it for us. The clear invitation is not rearrange the mental furniture of your mind, believe something cognitively, and then hopefully everything works out at the end of your life. The invitation from Jesus is just yes, to trust or believe in him, but it is to rearrange our lives around three specific things. You guys remember what they are? Number one it's called. be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, that's the invitation, and uh, we, we're in this series focusing on becoming, who are you becoming, and asking, the, who am I, who am I in relation to God, who is God, and how do all of those things work together, so I'm going to tell a little bit of my story, and then we'll get into the text today, uh, I became a Jesus follower when I was 15 years old, a month before my 16th birthday, and in some ways, Jesus changed everything. We've been in our city groups working through equipping you to share your story with other people and and just kind of having you confident in like what your life was like before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and then what life has been like since Jesus. We've been kind of working on that tool together in multiple ways if you've been in a city group. Um, And the reason for that is just to kind of help you articulate what Jesus has done in your life, but what I've been watching, and and this is normal, and this is great, is that all of our stories are very different, and how we articulate them, what it even looked like when we met Jesus, and what that looked like. You know, some of you have the story, I was three years old, and and a drug dealer, and got my first tattoo at five, and went to prison at six years old, and then I met Jesus, and he changed my life, and now I'm a pastor, right? Some of you have, no one has that story in here, but Right, some of us have these like crazy, life-changing, in-the-moment stories of Jesus, and other people have this progressive journey of at some point made a, a a personal decision to trust in Jesus, if you will, but then also the change that you've experienced wasn't this moment of like black and white. Wednesday, I was this; Thursday, I was this. So, for me in my story, Jesus did it. Really, did feel like he changed everything. Now, now not like. All of a sudden, I was Jesus 2.0. But everything internally, it just shifted. Like in a lot of ways, and I don't have time to share it all today. But it seemed like Jesus changed a lot, and and it also set me on a trajectory. Like I started following Jesus. I never read the Bible. Started reading the scriptures to learn about the life of Jesus and what it meant to follow Him. And all I knew, I didn't know a lot about following Jesus. All I knew was that Jesus had changed my life, and I would love to share that with other people. That's really all that I knew. That's all I could articulate. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't even know all of what it meant to to follow Jesus, but that relationship was, was absolutely easy for me to identify. Jesus changed my life. I'd love to share that with other people. Fast track, and Jesus is doing a lot of really cool things in my life, and I feel like I'm really discovering what it means to follow Jesus, and there's this progressive transformation in my life from 15 up until this point, Um, but um, like probably many of you, and I I recommended this book last week, uh, Pete Schizero, he wrote this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and here's a quote that he has for us from that book that I, I just think captures the space that I found myself in, kind of like from 15 to 25, like a decade of following Jesus, and maybe this is familiar for you. He says, the spirituality of most current discipleship models, you can just call that churches, okay, the spirituality of most current discipleship models often only adds an additional protective layer against people growing up emotionally when people have authentic spiritual experiences so, so i'm reading the bible and i feel like like god is speaking to me i'm praying praying, praying i'm praying and God answers a prayer, I'm sharing my story, and my friends come to know Jesus, and my brother becomes a Jesus follower, all these cool things are happening where you're having authentic spiritual experiences with God, They're, they're real, and they're tangible, and you're like, wow, this is amazing, that's what he's talking about, so you have those moments through worship, and prayer, and studying the scriptures, and community, and all of those things, and he goes on, and he says, what happens unintentionally, we mistakenly believe that we're doing fine as a result of those experiences, right? We have all these cool things happening as a result of kind of spiritual progression and maturity, which are great and real and authentic. He's not shutting them down. But he says, they're mistakenly, we mistakenly believe that we're doing fine because of those external markers, even if our relational lives are fractured and the interior world is completely disordered. Their apparent progress then provides a spiritual reason for not doing the hard work of maturing. Short, they are deceived. And so this is my story for the first decade of following Jesus. Lots of really cool stuff happening on the outside and inside that are tangible and real, but also completely unaware to some of the emotional unhealth that I carry around and that I leak into my relationships Everything is surface level, everything is spiritualized, everything is pray about it, and I'm not able to do the hard work. I'm not even encouraged to do the hard work of figuring out what's going on on the inside, how my past influences who I am today, actually wrestling with, maybe going back in order to deal with my shadow, the inside self that is completely hidden, but informs a lot of my disordered behaviors and desires and thoughts and actions. And then he says this about himself. Because of the spiritual growth in certain areas of of his life, he talks about his story in the book that, that we encourage you to pick up. He says, because of the spiritual growth in certain areas, I ignored the glaring signs of emotional immaturity that were everywhere in and around me. This is my story, friends, and it might not be yours, way to go you, I'm glad you're not just an emotionally unhealthy basket case like I have been, but man, I I was in an environment and in a culture where we weren't even having these conversations, and so lots of external activity that is supposed to bring about change, and then you do some things, and you might see some things change and pivot and make some progress, but then a lot of this is still happening. And you, and then you ask the questions, why? Well, is this Jesus thing even really working? And we, and we begin to question, who am I? And, and what is my identity? What is my calling? And is any of this Jesus stuff actually working? Now, I share that because it's all going to tie into the discovery process of who we are and what God has called us to do. But Danielle and I, we met uh, when I was 19 and she must have been 17. We met, we started dating, and this is who I was in that space. Oh, well there, well, there you go. That's also who I was in that space. So we were married at 21 and 19. And, and I regret a lot about my 20s. Let me, let me tell you, uh, there's a lot of my story that I regret. This is not one of them. I did not regret marrying Danielle. However, I do regret that she married me. <laughs> you guys tracking with me? Because she married an emotional idiot okay. I mean, I mean, for the first decade of our marriage, I had the permission to share this story, by the way, um, so you guys can all tell Danielle how sorry you are after the service, but like genuinely, for the first 10 years of our marriage, it felt like I was emotionally unhealthy and unaware, and there was no one around me even helping us to navigate and dialogue. So it was spiritual surface-level efforts and answers that did not bring about the deep need for emotional and personal change on the inside that influenced who I was becoming. And so, again... Actually, I think while while marrying young was was a, a really big gift in a lot of ways. Again, I've really uh, it's unfortunate that that I was just a knucklehead for so very long. And there's this other book that we recommend called The Road Back to You. Um, that I highly recommend you pick up. We, we we love the Enneagram around here. It's a great tool, personality conversations. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, and so. Uh, it, it also helps kind of in that self-discovery process, and so this is what a healthy eight looks like. I read this uh, last night, and I was like, "I mean, this is so encouraging." So when eights are spiritually on the beam and self-aware, you guys see that word, self-aware? That's a really big word. I didn't even know it existed until like you know three weeks ago. So here we are. It's a joke. We're gonna have fun. So when when eights are spiritually on the beam, I don't know what kind of beam that is, if that's a balance beam or what that is, but but uh, some kind of beam and self-aware, they are powerhouses yeah like love that fearless magnanimous what a word i just man they're just pumping you up in this book you should pick it up right um you're not gonna be as good as an eight but you'll be you know something it's a joke guys let's have some fun fearless magnanimous inspiring energetic supportive loyal self-confident intuitive committed and tolerant toward those who are weaker than they are yeah that's that's me guys on a healthy day Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of those, so this is what looks like more, this is who Danielle married, by the way, okay? So at, at 21, this is who I was. When eight switch their lives over to autopilot and spiritually fall asleep at the wheel or are simply, I think, unaware, like I was, when they become asleep at the wheel of their personality, they become shamelessly excessive, reckless, arrogant, bull-headedly uncompromising. That's unnecessary did not need that many words to describe, and sometimes even cruel. I don't know, man, that hurt. Um, And I asked Danielle last night, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't just blowing smoke, I'm like, hey, so how we doing, (laughs) you know? Like, married in 2010, we're on year 13. And she said, you're better. (laughs) It's like, yeah, man, better. Um, I'm still, a, still an idiot, but, but way less of one now, okay? Now, I, I share this with you, uh, honestly, uh, it feels like over the last five years, God has brought us into a journey of self-discovery and identity and calling that we did not have the tools to process early on in our marriage and in our apprenticing under Jesus. And so we are in this practice as a community because this is a central part of the formation that we see as followers of Jesus. And um, just to remind us of, of a quote from last week from St. Teresa of Avila, she said, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. So again, this is not an invitation into hippy dippy. You know, self-awareness conversations that have no grounding in scripture. This is an invitation into processing the deeper questions. Who am I? Who is God? Who am I in light of that relationship to God? And and then what does it look like to press into a confident identity in who God says that we are and how might that, how might that affect how we live? So last week we were in Matthew chapter 3. And uh, I was going to bring this back to this moment of identity and calling for Jesus. So Jesus is, is incredible for a lot of reasons, but in this moment we see him demonstrating for us what it means to live out of a true space of identity and calling grounded in the voice of God. And so Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He's going to empty himself of his divine attributes and live the life that you and I can't live. Everywhere we fail, Jesus succeeds. He's ultimately going to give his life in the place for the sins of the world on the cross. He's going to die, be buried, and resurrect, proving that he was who he said he was and that he could do for you and I what he promised to do. That is this invitation. But in this moment, we see a very clear, defining moment for Jesus. As soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and Jesus saw the Spirit of God, I'm sorry, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, "'This is my Son, whom I love. "'With him I am well pleased.'" And last week, we talked about this space That in this moment, Jesus gets both his identity and calling. Before he has done anything, the voice of God says that he's loved. It's really important. We talk about this, that that you're not loved for your performance. That who you are matters, what you do matters, and it influences who you become. But that is not what brings you intrinsic value. So before Jesus has done a single thing in his God, Messiah, Christ, Thing that he's going to do, right? That calling, he is loved. But in that space, there's also a calling. That word son carries with it the very specific understanding of why he is there. Son of God, Messiah. The awaited king that's going to take away the sins of the world. Jesus knew both his identity and calling in this moment. So here's the question that I have for you this morning. Where does Jesus get his identity and calling? And it's right there from heaven, specifically from the voice of the Father, of the voice of God. He has this clear understanding. I don't know about you, I've never like come up out of the bathtub and had that happen, you know, in a moment where you just kind of come up out of the water and then a voice above your bathroom ceiling says exactly who you are and that you're loved and what you're supposed to do. It'd be pretty sweet, right? Never had that happen. But for Jesus in this moment, from the voice of God, he understands his identity and his calling. Here's the question that I have for you and I. Where do we get our identity and calling? What's the most natural, knee-jerk space that you and I get our identity and calling from? And if you're super you know, spiritual and you want to give the Jesus answer, that's cool. Like, oh yeah, from Jesus, that's that's fine. But just think practically about the spaces that you and I live in. We don't get our, our calling and our identity from, from heaven, but rather from earth from the world around us, specifically in a couple of ways. Number one, and this is just to kind of catch us up, performance, right? You and I live in a culture that says, I am what I do. This is the space, not, not that what you do doesn't matter, but when achievement is the thing that gives you identity, it, it feels like this thing Jesus called shifting sand, It's like just kind of unstable. And so you and I live in a society where we have more opportunity than ever to have achievement, have success, to do things of significance, to make us feel significant. And yet at the same time, especially in the West, we have such a unique mental health crisis going on right now in light of more success opportunity than ever before. Insecurity and fear post high school and getting, I mean, even, even before you get out of school Insecurity and fear are the norm, are they not? And so so, so in, in this weird tension of you are what you do and you are, you, are, you are significant and unique when you can contribute and prove that you are successful in whatever metric that was, you and I are encouraged to find our identity in performance. You guys tracking with me? I know no one actually does that here. You guys are all way better than me, but we have this tendency to Find our identity and not only what we do, but in addition, in what we have, possessions. Or the culture says, hey, you are what you have. So what, what you drive, what you wear, what, what, you, what you text on, those are all identity statements, aren't they? I uh, know. No, it's just a phone. Yeah, right, you Android users, right? <laughs> you, just, you, just, you know that if you just get an iPhone, you would get along so much better with everybody else, right? But you refuse to do it because you're like one of those, stick it to the man, Android. Yeah, we know you. Identity statement. Right, and we we live in a really unique city, we got that hipster, kind of crunchy granola vibe going on, as so we have levels of identity statement, even in Boulder, right? So how you dress informs, you know, a part of your identity, and if you have a mustache or not, that informs, you know, especially for the ladies, <laughs> it's a joke, guys. Realized that was, like, identity stereotyping there. Anyway, so... You have these spaces, right, like of hipster levels. Well, you know, you can really figure out what kind of hipster somebody is when you watch them walk out of a building and then see what they drive home, right? So if they walk out and they get in a Tesla, you're like, oh, you're that kind of hipster, okay, that works for Google as well. That's cool. And if they get out and they ride their bicycle home, you're like, aha, that's, that's, right, there's a different identity statement going on. Or like like uh, me and me and a bunch of guys, we we ride motorcycles, and it's a it's a hobby that we love. But we'd all be lying if that wasn't an identity statement. And so we have these you know moments of like what we drive, what we wear, what we do. And by the way, this is not hating on any of that, right? It's all fine and appropriate. The things that we have communicate a part of our identity. Who is Albert without his Jeep? I don't know. He doesn't either. (laughs) That's why we're doing this series, right? In our culture, things aren't just things. That's all I'm trying to say, right? They're they're identity statements. And again, this is not hating on things. It's not hating on on what you do. This is just the reality that you and I are encouraged to find identity in performance and possessions, and lastly, in popularity, right? And these are all kind of uniquely tied, aren't they? Like, Like, I am what other people think of me. You ever feel that? You don't want to be what other people think of you, but you find yourself uniquely stuck in that space at times that you ever feel a, like a, a pressure just to project a part of yourself that might not be completely true into a space because you're trying to kind of val- like figure out what people think and, and, and what to do with that like we have all kinds of, of issues around popularity, what people, like uh, how, where my kids go to school and who I'm married to, and what, what body type I have and 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 all these different things that we allow to identify. what what do people think about me? Our personality type and and then there's comparison, man, I wish I was that enneagram number and not this one, and right there's all these different things that contribute to our identity. And so in that space, I just want to encourage us to think about. Man, where do you get your identity from? And then we have social media that kind of pushes this over the edge, right? Like, like there's an identity culture being pushed through social media. And so my experiences make up who I am and my, my maybe who I'm married to and the job that I have and my gifts or my talents. And, and again, those are all good things, right? Except for when our identity is sorely or, or solely based in them. what happens. The danger in basing our identity in these things, which are very normal for the culture that we live in, is that all of them can and will be taken away. At some point in our lives, all of these things are unstable and compromised. If all of my self-worth, if all of my identity, if all of my happiness is based in these categories from the world around me, at some point it will all be taken away. And all of us, honestly, what we're longing for is belonging, to be truly known, to be truly loved, and we find happiness and identity in these things, but maybe just for a short time, because, because genuinely, who, who am I without my, my, my Tesla, or my Subaru, or my bicycle? Who is Albert without his beard? I don't know. I've never seen him without a beard. I don't know. I don't even know who he is. I wouldn't recognize him. Who, who am I without my hair? <laughs> you know, who, who am I without my movement membership or my icon pass? All of a sudden, we look up and things begin to fade away, and the point is, if our identity is based in these things, then our identity begins to crumble, and there's a crisis that happens internally. So the question today is, what would it look like to get our identity, our calling from heaven and not from earth? And some of you are like, well, this is really, really cool, that's great, but I'm not Jesus. So Jesus has this clarity around who he's called to be and what he's come to do, but but that's not me. And so I understand what you're saying, and that's true. You're not Jesus, but at the same time, what we see in the story of Jesus is also an invitation to be true of us. So if you wanna go to Ephesians chapter one for just a moment, I'm gonna put the the text on the screen here, and this is a larger passage, so rather than sticking it on the screen, we're gonna read it out of the scriptures. So there's Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Those are gifts to you, by the way, if you'd like to take one, you can pull out your phone. And let me just show you in Ephesians chapter one some identity statements that we see true of, of, of who God says that you are if we're going to base our identity out of heaven rather than out of earth. So Ephesians is going to be in the New Testament. There's a little table of contents in that uh, front of that Bible for you if you want to do that. But Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 is where we're going to be. The author here, his name is Paul, and he is just a wicked smart theologian, and he is obsessed with identity. And in fact, the entire book of Ephesians has this unique focus of six chapters. The first three chapters are all identity conversations. So three chapters, not one command. Three entire chapters, not one command, not one do this all identity. And then literally chapter four, the second half, he transitions and it's all commands, all the things that you should do, all the ways that you should be forming, who you're becoming, how you should live in light of your identity. So this is really, really important because Paul was someone who found his identity in his spiritual kind of documentation and all of the accolades and all the degrees that he had. He was the most spiritual hardcore Pharisee there was and he was earning his way to God and he was persecuting the church. and He was killing Christians extra against Jesus runs into the risen Jesus or rather he, he runs into him becomes a Jesus follower becomes a Christian his entire life changes so much so that he actually has a name change he goes from Saul to Paul and he is now the author of what we have as a third of our new testament scriptures today so this guy knows about identity he has an identity that was built in his performance and his achievements and his accolades that was ripped away from him, and now he has a unique perspective on identity, and he shares it with the church in Ephesus, and by default with you and I. So with that context, I just want you to, this is the first, this is the introduction of the letter, okay? And in the Greek, by the way, this is all like one run-on sentence. So I want you to see like how jazzed this guy is. You ever just talk so fast and don't take a breath like I do? You know, <laughs> you're just like, <gasps> so this guy, one, all 14 verses, one run-on sentence in the Greek, so... Um, be really bad to be the guy that's transcribing, like, slow down, I got a hand cramp, right? That's what's happening here. So, starting in verse 1, you guys ready? I'm going to read it slowly. I want you to listen for, over and over again, he's going to use this term, in Christ. And I want you to watch for that. He's, He's attaching it to our identity. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and by default in Boulder, Colorado, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. These are itty bitty words, guys. Forgot my Bible at home. Through Jesus Christ, continuing on verse five, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, Having You guys with me? This is all one. I mean, he is just dumping all of this incredible theology on the reality of who you are as a result of being a follower of Jesus. And you're like, yep, I got none of it. (laughs) Cool, let's let's, let's unpack it for a second, okay? In this space, there is this theology of identity. In Christ, in the New Testament, is used over 150 times. And Paul's favorite way to talk about us as our identity in Christ is that word, in Christ. He uses it over and over again. It's his favorite way to remind us of our relationship and what it means. And so we have some baptisms coming up at the end of the month. By the way, if you've never been baptized and you're interested in being baptized, the 26th, I believe, is the last Sunday of the month. And we're doing some baptisms, and it'll be way warmer in here, and the water will be warm <laughs> when we do it. But when we, when we get baptized, it's an identity statement. We do it because Jesus told us to, but in addition, there's this incredible moment of identity. You go under the water, you come back up, and it's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's also a picture of the old you being dead and Jesus making you new, this new life in Christ. You come up out of the water, and you're a new creation in the words of Paul and of Jesus. And so baptism is this incredible picture of your incorporation this is called the doctrine of incorporation by the way you don't need to know that but like if you want to sound really smart at lunch today so the doctrine of incorporation is how you start an LLC that's how you do it so that's a good joke guys it's not how you start an LLC when you become a Jesus follower you are incorporated or, or brought into the family of God adopted right all this language of being in Christ It's like what does that mean to be in Christ So I want you to just follow with me for just a second. We'll come up for air in in a sec on the theology stuff. But Jesus represents all of humanity. As he walks the earth, 100% God, 100% man, Jesus is the representative for all of humanity. And when he wins this victory, which didn't feel like a victory at first, but when Jesus dies, is buried, and rises again, he doesn't just win the victory for himself, he wins it for all of us. So the cross and the resurrection is Jesus defeating sin, death, and the devil. And that reality for Jesus, if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are in the family of God by by relation of trusting in Jesus and his work, then the reality that Jesus set forth is also true of you. Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil, and by default, you are victorious as well. You guys tracking with me, right? That Jesus' victory is also our victory because of that relationship. Here's a simple way to say it. Everything that is true about Jesus, based on the doctrine that we're talking about, based on what we see in the scriptures, everything that is true about Jesus is true about you. If you're a follower of Jesus... Everything that is true about Jesus is true about you. And this is where this, this cliche comes from that maybe you've heard before, that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And, it, and it's, it's cliche, and it's cute, and, it, and it's, it's somewhat true. Like, yes, everything that's true about Jesus is true about you as a follower of Jesus. When God looks at you, he, he sees, yes, there's truth there. He also sees the rest of you, by the way. Right? So it's not like we have this blocker that you know, God only sees the perfect resurrection of Jesus and he doesn't see any of my mess or my brokenness and he doesn't really want to deal with that and I can just kind of live how I want. <laughs> no, he sees all of it. All of our, our amazing, beautiful, and brokenness. But I want you to see these identity statements. So, so what Paul is getting at is everything that's true about Jesus is true about you. And you might be in here and you're like, I do not feel that like not even a little bit okay let me just summarize that list that we just read because it was a lot right you got to sit in it but let me just kind of give you all the all the identity statements that he he just made in those 14 verses you ready This is true. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is true of you. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. You are loved. You are predestined. You are adopted. You're under God's pleasure. You're in God's will to God's praise, redeemed, forgiven, rich in God's grace. You are wise. You didn't know that, did you? Aware of the mystery of Christ, included, as in not left out, saved, sealed with the Spirit. You are God's unique possession in line for an inheritance, all to the praise of his glory. That's true of you because of Jesus. And the reality that we live in is I do not feel (laughs) blameless. Blameless. I don't feel loved. I don't feel forgiven. Can I cash in on that inheritance now? Like, is that a, is that a thing? In God's will, I don't. I don't have that. I'm not that. I'm not holy. If you knew what I was looking at last night or what I said earlier this week or where I was or what I did or what I didn't do, that's not me. And I don't want you to miss this incredible truth today because this is formational for our invitation to follow Jesus. This is who you are when you are in Christ. What Paul is going to later say, when you and I are walking in the Spirit. So if and when you're in Christ, not not, not that the relationship is ever severed, but when you are intentionally, you and I, walking in that relationship, this is true of you. And this is true of you theologically, whether you feel it or not, it's really important. But it's also becoming true of you in reality. That's what I need you to capture today. Who are you becoming? See, the beauty of following Jesus is that our identity is not based on our past, what we've done, what's happened to us, what's been done to us. Our identity is not based in our present, who we are now, the good, the bad, the ugly, the frustrations, the brokenness, I failed here, I'm not doing good here, I'm I'm confused over here. Our identity is based in a future reality. We talk about it a lot at City Church, this, this kingdom of heaven reality, the already and not yet that Jesus introduced. So there's something true of us now that is also true of us in the future. That's the space that you and I are living into you are becoming who you truly are in Christ as a follower. You guys tracking with me? Listen to this gonna be really practical in a second, but I need you to get this in your head so it can get into your heart so it affects how you wake up tomorrow because the first thing you think about God and yourself is going to influence then what you do out of that place. And so the reality is there are some things that are true about me that I wish weren't true about me on certain days. I wish that when I responded to my kids out out of impatience or anger, that wasn't true of me. But that reality is still there, isn't it? But who I'm becoming is different. And by the way, this is not about ignoring sin. That's not what we're talking about. It's not like, oh, yeah, press into your future self. What you do today doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about. Nothing will sabotage your identity like the sin that you hide behind. If you and I take it of our own selves to redefine good and evil on our own terms, it will warp our personhood in a way that causes deep damage. And so part of it is agreeing with God about what he says is good and right and true and unhelpful and unloving, both for ourselves and our neighbors and to his honor. You know this, what you do comes out of who you are. And what we do comes out of that space. The truth and the lies that we believe about ourselves are going to influence what we do this week. So today the goal is to reshape our thinking on who you really are in Christ. So I already told you Ephesians 4 is where he pivots to all the commands. And that the point in that is this, out of who you are, you can then focus on what you're doing. Out of that identity, you are in a healthy place to then continue in this formation of becoming. So I'm going to invite Daniel to come. And as he comes, we're going to get ready for uh, the, the space of, of responding today. But I want, I want to go back to me being a husband for a second. So at 21 years old, I became a husband. And I already told you, how, how good was I at being a husband at 21? Like not good. Like not even a little bit good. Like not even helpful on my best days good. But the reality is at 21 years of age, I became a husband. That was never in question. Whether I was a good husband or a bad husband, that that obviously went back and forth. But my status as a husband has not changed. You guys tracking with me? My identity shifted in that moment. When Daniel and I said our vows and we committed our lives to one another, I became a husband. And I have been spending the last 13 years and I will spend the rest of my life learning how to be who I already am. Does that make sense to you? To live into this calling of becoming the kind of husband that Jesus has called me to be. This is true of me being a father as well. That one day we're in a hospital room and the doctor calls me dad. <laughs> not, not his dad, like I am a dad, right? <laughs> right? Dad, I remember, dad, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? What's going to happen when I do? <laughs> um... And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm a dad. And h- how good do you think I was day one at being a dad? No idea, right? They let me take a human home, like by my, with, with just Danielle and I, we have, we have a, someone we have to now keep alive? And this is crazy. I had no idea what it meant to be a father. But I am spending my life, I have been spending my life the last seven years Learning how to live up to the reality that I am a father, becoming who I already am. Uh, um, Daniel and Michelle, that they adopted uh, their two oldest daughters, Abigail and Addison. Um, and, and they were adopted in the moment that those two little girls were adopted into their family. They, they were then, you know, they had full access into all of their glorious kingdom, right? Which is maybe not that impressive. <laughs> For some, of, but, but these little girls were adopted into this family and they became Hesslers. And every day those little girls are learning to live into this identity that they are adopted into. They're learning over and over again what it means to be a Hessler, what it means to be a part of that family. You, you guys tracking with me? Learning to live into the identity that I already have. Becoming who... I already am. And so this is not rooted in my past, my present, but then in, in my future, who God says that I am. And and the life-changing piece here, friends, is when you see God, how he sees you, that changes everything. There's this little book called The Gift of Being Yourself by uh, David Benner is his, his name. And here, here's what he says. Let me just read it for you. He says, neither knowing God or even knowing ourselves can Progress very far unless it begins with a knowledge of how deeply we are loved by God. So, when you think about your identity, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Because Paul's encouragement here and the invitation from heaven for you and I is I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God, I am loved. And in that space, it changes everything. But I know for a fact that there are some Mondays that that is not the first thing that comes to your mind. I know there are some conversations with your boss where that is not the first feeling that you have. I know there are some conversations with your extended family where that is not the first thing that is spoken over you. I know there is some self-talk that happens late at night and there is nothing about what's happening in your mind that is close to that reality. And so, the beauty of community, the beauty of the scriptures, the beauty of leaning into this is over and over again, we need people around us and the scriptures to speak reality over our lives. That when we are believing lies, you have people around you and you have your Father in heaven saying, That's not who you are. That's not who you are. And who are you becoming? It might be my activity in this moment, but that's not my deepest identity. And we need people constantly calling us back into the reality of who we are called to be. So in a moment of anger and a shortness of response, Danielle might say, that's not who you are. It might be what I have just done, but that's not who you are. And She calls me up into something better. This is who we're becoming. This is how we're formed. We're going to continue in this series doing some deeper dives of self-discovery, and so I hope you'll kind of lean in and stay tuned. Through community, we're going to be doing all of this together. So I've got a couple of things for you on the screen as we end our time. Number one, I just want to encourage you this week to press into the practice of of reading Ephesians. So we just finished our our, our 21-day journey of reading through John, and I hope that was encouraging to you. So this week you might pick up the book of Ephesians, six chapters, maybe a chapter a day or whatever it means for you, whatever you can create the space for and actually be present. I was having a conversation with some friends and they were like, oh, I re- I'm behind a couple days on John. I'll like try to catch up and read those three chapters today. And I'm like, hey, listen, like, don't, don't forget. It's not about how much you've read this week. It's about whether or not you were with Jesus in that reading. Jesus doesn't care if you read three chapters or three verses. Were you with him in that space. Were you letting scripture reshape reality in your mind? Get it into your heart and your bones and shape your identity. So this week, if you can, pick up the book of Ephesians. Take one of those Bibles. Use the Bible app, whatever, and just sit in the first three chapters of identity and then look at the last three chapters and see how identity shapes what we do. And here are some questions to ask. We're going to post this on our social media platforms for you, and we'll be also providing these in group. But A couple of questions for you to consider as you wrestle through what we talked about today. Asking God, God, are there any sins or patterns of mind that are holding me back from the life that you have for me? Is there any truth that I'm missing? Are there any lies I'm believing? Is there anything you want me to do right now? God, what do you want me to focus on in this season? What's next in my calling? Who do you say that I am? These kinds of questions as you read the scriptures are going to help form our identity. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment. This is just a moment of privacy, and the team's going to lead us in some worship songs, and we're going to have a chance to respond But with your heads bowed and eyes closed, just kind of removing distraction from around you, being present to the moment, let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you that you love us and that you are pursuing us. I pray that the voice of God would be louder than the voices of our culture around us, the voices of our disordered desires inside of us, the voices of past trauma, the voices of fear and anxiety, I pray that they're all silenced and your voice is clear right now. This is my son. This is my daughter who I love and, and in whom I'm well pleased. Help us to believe that reality today. And out of that identity, Jesus, would you lead us to respond? Some of you in here are not followers of Jesus, and the invitation for you is simply to trust in Jesus today, that you are loved by God, Jesus has made a way for you to be made new and adopted into this family of God, this new identity, and to walk in that. Maybe today in your own heart and mind you would choose to trust in Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sin and brokenness, that you rose again to save me and set me free. I want that life today with you. others of us in the room. Maybe your next step is baptism to celebrate externally that identity statement of belonging to and being a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, you can let us know on that connection card and we would love to help you process and take some next steps in that. And for others of us, today is a space of surrender, of letting go of a lie, of repenting of things that are keeping us from the truth and reality of God's goodness in our lives, that are sabotaging us from the inside out. Maybe today we need to receive prayer. Maybe there's forgiveness to extend. So Holy Spirit, whatever you have for us today, would you move us to do it? It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.